After the service tonight, we need uh, some of you men to set up the tables and chairs for the church dinner next Sunday, and there will be no p.m. services next Sunday. And also, there are three wooden high chairs that need to be put together if someone could do that. They're in the far right corner in the fellowship hall by the audio equipment. Verse 16, we considered this staggering statement Paul makes with regard to every believer last week. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, look at this incredible promise. Verse 21, therefore let no man glory in men for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. They belong to you. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now, I don't know of a bigger promise in the Word of God than the one I just read, all things. All things are yours. Whatever comes under the umbrella of all things is yours. Now, I want you to think of the magnitude of that statement. Literally. This is not speaking figuratively. This is literally. All things are yours. I think of when the writer to the Hebrews said, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content, be satisfied with such things as you have. Well, what do you have? All things. All things. That is the personal possession of every believer. That is why Romans 8, 28 is true. All things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose all things are yours meditate on that it's true this is not hyperbole this is the truth I'm not uh, saying this by way of uh, sensationalism, but everything Jeff Bezos has is mine. He doesn't know it, but it's mine. God is using whatever it is for my good and his glory. Whatever we're talking about, all things, whatever belongs to Christ, we're joint heirs with Christ. Whatever belongs to him, all things are yours. You belong to Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I'm his. 
I belong here. I am my beloved, and he is mine. And Christ is God's. Now, who is meant by the personal pronoun yours? All things are yours. Who is included in that personal pronoun? Is this addressed to every son of Adam? Is this all men without exception? Can all men say this with regard to themselves? Everything belongs to me. If your parents were very wealthy and died and left you a will and they left you everything and stated in that will all things are yours, could somebody come up and stake a claim to that? Well, I'm included in that yours. No. No one could stake a claim in that but to whom it was meant for. All things are yours. The promise is not to all men, but is made to the people described in verse 16. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now I want you and I want myself to think about the magnitude of that statement. While I am talking to you right now, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, the creator of the universe, dwells in me. He dwells in you if you're a believer. He's there, whether you're aware of it or not. He dwells in you. Romans 8, 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his, this describes all of God's people, the people of which God said, I'll be to them a God. I think about the Lord saying that to you, speaking of you. I'll be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. All things are yours. They're, these are the people chosen by God given to Christ, redeemed by Christ, born of the Spirit of God. They are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Therefore, it's said of to these people all things. Every spiritual blessing, all that God has to give to the sinner, this world, things present, things to come, all things are yours. Believe that. All things are yours. Now, notice in verse 16, know ye not that you are the temple of God. And when Paul says, know ye not, he's saying you're behaving yourself like, you're behaving yourself like you don't know this. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, the dwelling place of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Well, that's strong language, isn't it? For the temple of God is holy, which 
you are. I know our King James says which temple you are, but leave out the word temple. Which temple is holy, which you are. The temple of God is holy. Every believer is holy. You say, well, I don't feel holy. Well, you're still holy. You come from God. You're not of this world. You come from him who is other. The Lord said with regard to his people, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know the reason you don't feel like this world's your home? Because it's not. You're from somewhere else. You have eternal existence in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The scripture says every believer is holy. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. If you're called a saint, saint means holy one. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, chosen to be holy, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. You don't feel holy, I'm sure, but feelings come, feelings go, feelings are deceiving. God's word says, with regard to every believer, they are holy. Listen to this scripture from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. We read that we're sanctified by the, by the Spirit of God in the new birth, by the which we'll, we're sanctified, made holy, declared to be holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The blood of Jesus Christ made this man that's talking to you holy. It makes the men and women who he died for that I'm talking to holy. We even read of the sanctification of the Spirit, being made holy by the Spirit of God, which uh, temple you are. Now, I want to ask a question. Do you believe you're holy? You are. In Christ, you are. Now, I realize that the natural man doesn't have the Spirit and doesn't understand anything about holiness. You have to have God the Holy Spirit. You have to be given a new nature to understand anything about holiness. But the natural man doesn't have a spirit. He's got a soul, he's got a body, but he doesn't have a spirit. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, where the Lord said, In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That very day. Not somewhere down the road. That very day. Now, his body didn't die. His soul didn't die. But his spirit died. And that is what Paul is talking about when he says you're dead. By nature, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We didn't have spiritual life. But those that God elected and Christ died for and are birthed by God have a spiritual 
nature that a natural man just doesn't have. Listen to this scripture. As many as received him. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born, which were birthed, which were fathered. That's the way to look at this. This is a divine begetting. Not a blood, not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh, but of God. Birthed by God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Child of God, you are. It's hard to say that, isn't it? David said it. He said, I'm holy. I belong to the Lord. I've been born of God. Now, I want to ask you a question. Can God sin? No. He's incapable of sin. Utterly incapable. He can't lie. He can't change. He can't be different than what he is. He can never act contrary to any of his attributes. God is holy. Amen? You believe that? God is holy. God cannot sin. Now let me ask you another question. Can that which he birthed sin? No. No. He birthed. Every one of his people into the kingdom of God. Turn with me in 1 John chapter 3. We looked at this in Sunday school this morning. First John chapter 3. Whosoever, verse 9, 1 John chapter 3, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed, the seed of God, that spiritual man, that which is begotten of God, remaineth in him, and he, what's the next word? Cannot sin. He lacks the ability to sin because he's born of God. Look in First John chapter five, verse eighteen. For we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. You know, if you have something other uh, than a King James Version, you might uh, uh, hope you don't. King James is the best. Uh, but if you do, it might say he doesn't practice sin. You know, that's utter dishonesty. Someone looking at it, that's, that's not what it says. It says he does not commit sin. The new man does not sin. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God 
keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. Now I want you to think about that statement. The wicked one toucheth him not. Now, he came to say, to, the wicked one came to Peter, remember? And the Lord said, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And how he was sifted, he was turned inside out. Well, it says the wicked one toucheth him not. What else did the Lord say? But I pray for you that your faith fail not. That's the new man that believes that failed not. The wicked one toucheth him not. Now, Satan can, apart from God's grace, can do with us Anything he wants to. I have no doubt about it. He's got plenty to work with, with all of us. But the wicked one toucheth him not, that which is born of God, the new man. Now, this is what the Bible teaches. It can't be denied. And if someone is thinking, but I still sin, you still have the nature you were born with. You still have that nature that has all the appetites of sin that it ever had. That's the nature you're born with. But thank God I have another nature and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That is why sin can't have dominion over a believer. Yes, it's because we're not under the law but under grace. But it's also because of this. I've got a nature that's stronger than my old nature. Now what do you mean by that? Well, there was a time when I couldn't believe I couldn't repent. I had no love for God. I thought I did. I thought I did, but I didn't. That's when I was under the complete dominion of sin. But when God gave me this new nature, birthed by the Spirit of God through hearing the gospel, through believing the gospel, I was given this new holy nature. Now understand this about the new birth. It's not the flesh being changed and enabled to believe the gospel. That would be a denial of total depravity. That would be a denial of what Romans 8, 7, and 8 says. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's the spiritual man that believes. It's the Spiritual man that loves. It's the spiritual man that repents. And there's really no understanding of sin unless we're given a holy nature. It's that holy nature that delights in the law of God after the inward man. And every believer can say this. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That new man given. That new creation. That new creature if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. It's a creative act of God. <clears throat> it is that one and only one that is holy that can claim this promise. That man who is holy. That woman who is holy. Isn't that mysterious? That we could be holy. And we are. Holy, born of the Spirit of God. Now that's the man that 
this promise is made for. Look in verse 17. The man in whom the Spirit of God dwells. If any man defile the temple of God, and you're always going to have people trying to bring you down, you will. If any man defile the temple of God, now if, some, if something's holy, it's immutably holy. Uh, it can't quit being holy. Uh, well, what about Adam when he fell? He wasn't holy. He was innocent. He had an innocent nature. He had a sinless nature. But he wasn't holy because holy is it's that which comes from God. What about the holy angels? Well, so to speak, I, I would, uh, they're set apart to God. There's no question about that. But some of those angels fell because they didn't have holy natures. They could be brought down. But the believer has that which is holy in him. Every single believer, a holy nature. Now, let's go on reading verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which you are. Let no man deceive himself. If a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, this is what the holy nature perceives. You know, it's the holy nature, really, that owns the sins of the old man. The old man doesn't really understand what sin is in the first place. The only person who's born again is the only person who understands sin. Um, let no man deceive himself. If any man thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Be not deceived. I love that scripture, this scripture. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Um, if you make unbelievers your friends, they will bring you down to their level. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. I Love this, 2 Corinthians 11, 3, Paul said, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled, deceived Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. The simplicity. Oh, I don't want to be corrupted from that, do you? And only by the grace of the Holy Spirit, by the work of God's grace, shall I not be. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world. If you seem or appear to be wise in this world, you appear to have the tools and abilities to succeed in this world, do not be deceived into thinking that that ability has any value in the things of God. It doesn't. That which is highly esteemed among men. These are the words of the Lord. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool. That he may be wise, truly wise. Look what the Lord says about human wisdom. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. 
Now you remember what was going on. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And the real pious one said, I don't follow any man. I'm of Christ. That's what was going on in this very chapter. And here he's correcting them about this. Don't you glory in men. I don't care if it's the Apostle Paul. Don't you glory in men. I don't care if it's Peter. Don't you glory in men. Man at his best state is what? Altogether vanity. That's me. That's you. Do not glory in men. The word glory means have confidence in, to boast in, to rejoice in. Now we can rejoice and hope at the glory of God. It's what Romans 5.2 tells us to do. We can glory in tribulation. Knowing who sent the tribulation and what his purpose in sending it for. We glory in that we've now received the atonement according to Romans 5. And you're familiar with this, I, I hope, uh, of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, that according as it's written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, this is the one of whom it can be said that all things are yours. Those that glory in what they should glory in. The Lord. I have confidence in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord. I love what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 when he said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that's what every holy man says? Without exception. That's an evidence that they've been born of God. God forbid, perish the thought, may it never be that I glory in anything. Any work I perform, any man, I glory only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have confidence only in him. I think of what Paul said, we are the circumcision which rejoice in Christ Jesus, glory in Christ Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in men. We glory in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Therefore, let no man glory in men. And then he gives us this promise, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, you know, they were arguing uh, what preacher they were under. Paul says the preachers are yours. <laughs> now, there's a very real sense in which the preachers, I'm the servant of the Lord. Uh, he says that in chapter 4, verse uh, 1, uh, let a man account of us as ministers or servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's what I am if I'm God called, uh, but I'm just a man and I belong to the church. You know, when people talk about clergy lady, I hate that with a passion. Like the, the preacher is some kind of different, he's, he's clergy, he's up here, and then you got the lay people. That is evil. That's all that is. 
What are the preachers? Whether Paul or Paulus or Peter, all things are yours. Or the world. The world. And I'm not being facetious when I say central Kentucky is mine. Part of the world, isn't it? Uh, China's mine. Russia's mine. You see, because everything belongs to my father. And everything belongs to Christ. And I'm a joint heir with Christ. This is not hyperbole. Uh, All things in this world, they're mine. Does that mean I can go into somebody's house and say, yeah, this is mine? Of course not. Of course not. But it's all a part of those all things working together for good. Every event, every molecule in this universe is working together by God for the good of his people. All things are yours. This is my father's world. Listen to this scripture. In everything, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, in everything. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's working together by God for your good and his glory in everything. In everything. The things that are unpleasant, the things that you hate. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Look what he says next. Or life. The world or life. Now, Christ Jesus is the life. He said that. I am the way, the truth, the life. His life is the light of men. His life is my life. That is my personal history. His life is my life. Next, he says, or death, or death. You know, I was crucified with him. That's what scripture says. You are crucified with Christ. All of the benefits of his death, whatever they are, they belong to me. Every single one of them. When we think he spake of the deceased, which he should accomplish, what he accomplished by his death, when he said it is finished, the salvation of all the elect was accomplished, It's mine. And when we talk about physical death, that's the day everybody dreads to the believer. That's going to be the best day of your life is the day of your death. You're going to wake up in perfect conformity to the image of Christ, perfect likeness to him. I can't describe heaven as I would desire to, but I know this, the best day of this man's life is the day I quit breathing because I'll be in the very presence of Christ beholding his glory, seeing his face perfectly conformed to his image. All things are yours. Life, death. What's he say next? Things present. Things present. Now we're living in time, aren't we? One of these days we're not going to be in time anymore. Revelation 
10 says, there's a, it doesn't say a time coming, but it, say, it says time shall be no longer. And we'll be in eternity at that point. We won't know anything about yesterday or tomorrow. We won't know days or minutes. It's eternal. But there's right now. Things present. There's therefore now. No condemnation. Right now. Present tense. There is therefore now. In the present, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's coming up. I'm on the downhill slide right now and I'm glad. It's coming up. Now is my complete salvation when I awake into his image. It's nearer than when I first believed. Being now, present tense, now justified by his blood. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. To him be glory both now and forever things present things to come all of providence that has not yet taken place that's working together you know we don't have anything to worry about nothing what is it you're worrying about i don't know how else to say it i'm speaking to myself you know it's real stupid to worry it's just stupid everything to come is for your good and his glory. All things are yours. And you're Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now here's the security of all this. Let's turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple on Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? Was he making them to doubt? I don't think so. Oh, remember, never man spake like this man. Uh, how long make us, dost thou make us to doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you. Now, I don't know how words can be more plain. He didn't say, you're not my sheep because you don't believe, did he? He said, you believe not because you're not of my sheep. Who are the sheep? They're the people he died for. He said, I lay down my life for 
the sheep. That's the elect. That's every believer. He says, you believe not because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you, my sheep. Hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. One last scripture, John chapter 17. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone. This is his great high priestly prayer for his people. He says, I'm not just praying for the 11. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. We're doing that right now, aren't we? We're that group. Them also which shall believe on me. I believe on him. I trust him only as everything in my salvation. I believe on him. I do. I believe on him. Here's why. That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. That's part of the all things that are yours. The glory that God gave to his Son, he has given. To every believer. That they may be one. Even as we are one. I in them. Thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And, the world, and that the world may know. That thou hast sent me. And hast loved them. <coughs> as. Thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I've declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. All things are yours. Now, as we observe the Lord's table together and we think of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Remember, because of his shed blood and broken body, all things are yours.
Come, pass out the red and white, please.